helping you live well, stay well, while keeping pace with today's rapidly changing healthcare environment. That's Summit Medical Group. And now it's time for SMG Radio. Here's Melanie Cole. At age 5 in 1958, Dr. Donald Lecter, Summit Medical Group pediatric cardiologist, was one of the first generation to undergo open-heart surgery. Now a pediatric cardiologist whose son was also born with a heart defect, Dr. Lecter knows well the challenges parents face when their child is diagnosed with a heart problem. Welcome to the show, Dr. Lecter. Tell us your story. Uh, the story, I think, is is somewhat unusual. Um, when I was born in 1952, it was quickly re- recognized that I had a, a cardiac defect of some sort. Uh, diagnostic techniques back then were quite different than they are today. There was no ultrasound. Uh, they weren't so quick to catheterize new children because there was really nothing to be done. Uh, they we were a few years out at that point from out extracardiac repairs, but intracardiac repairs, uh, open-heart surgery, was not in existence at the time. So um, I lived my early childhood with a large hole between my two pumping chambers. Nothing was really known about the natural history of that. Uh, and uh, it was only when I went into roaring heart failure, uh, I got measles on top of the congestive heart failure I had. And I ended up admitted to the local hospital. Uh, that was uh, 1955 or so. Um, no, that would have been 57. And then uh, because of that deterioration, I ended up going for heart surgery. Uh, the bypass machine had only been available for a year or two at that point. Um, and uh, I was sent out to Minnesota for open-heart surgery at the Mayo Clinic uh, with uh, Dr. John Kirkland. Uh, and I did well. I was very fortunate. Um, natural history of children with large VSDs uh, that need to be repaired, uh, a significant subset of them will develop irreversible lung disease by two years of age. And we would not wait to repair a large defect um, until the age which I was operated on. And I was just lucky to uh, dodge a bullet. Uh, so from that point on, my father, who was a reporter for Associated Press and United Press International and had done all the research uh, leading to identifying where I could get surgery and, and uh, setting all this up, uh, was uh, encouraging me to go to science and become a physician. Of course, as a young child, my, my idea of what I was going to do with my future was quite different. Uh, but when I got to the point of going away to college and then uh, making decisions about what to do after college, uh, I did decide to go into medicine and then into pediatrics, and then finally I decided that uh, I wanted to, uh, quote-unquote, pay back the system and, and do pediatric cardiology. Uh, of course, life throws you curves, and um, after getting married and after having our first child, who uh, did quite well, our second child was born with heart disease. Uh, recognized uh, early on, uh, shortly after after birth, my son went into roaring heart failure and had a relatively unusual lesion, an anomalous origin of the left pulmonary artery off of the aorta, what some people mistakenly call, call hemitruncus. <clears throat> and that was repaired at the time. Uh, he also had an associated uh, uh, g- developmental genetic problem called uh, velocardiofacial syndrome, which has led to other uh, developmental issues. Uh, but he's doing quite well, and we're we're you know obviously in love with him, and he's now 26 and thriving. So I've been on all sides of the table. I've been uh, a patient, uh, and I've gone through bypass, um, and I remember certain pieces of that in flashes. I've been, uh, and I, I am a pediatric cardiologist, and I've been a parent of a patient who went through heart surgery. So I think it's a little different view of the profession than most of my colleagues. 
Wow, Dr. Leichter, that's absolutely fascinating. And I applaud your really uplifting attitude about all of this. And so tell us, as a pediatric cardiologist and as a parent, what are some of the conditions that, you know, we face, that we see that our children face that would lead us to go to a pediatric cardiologist? Well, the reasons one would be sent to a pediatric cardiologist, you know, most most of us, uh, we are catchers, not pitchers. We, we are sent patients by consulting uh, uh, pediatricians, family practitioners, sometimes uh, in terms of fetal work and mater- uh, OBGYNs or perinatologists. And patients will be sent in for a number of issues to rule out heart disease more than to rule it in. Uh, so uh, you might be sent in for uh, a cardiac murmur that sounds somewhat atypical, that is to say a heart sound that doesn't sound quite right. You might be sent in because your child's having chest pain when exercising. It might be sent in because your child's blacking out. Uh, most of the time, these things turn out to be nothing. They turn out to be normal, physiologic, uh, benign issues. But every once in a while, we pick up somebody who needs uh, care, and the job of the pediatric cardiologist is to identify these kids and make sure that they get proper management. So my Jersey practice uh, here in, in Summit is largely the... Uh, the diagnosis, the recognition of significant underlying heart disease, a lot of my day is spent telling patients they're fine. The patients who have heart disease, um, for the most part, are referred out to the major surgical centers in the area. Uh, I'm on faculty at Columbia Presbyterian in Manhattan, so the bulk of my surgical work is taken there. Uh, We have a very experienced, very large, very uh, well-recognized pediatric cardiology, uh, cardiothoracic surgical program there. my uh, and some patients for insurance reasons and other reasons end up going to other major centers in the area. Uh, but again, most of the simple uh, issues are taken care of right here at Summit. So tell us if parents have experienced a child with heart disease, what's going on in the world today of pediatric cardiology and what's on the horizon hope-wise? Uh, surgery for most lesions is uh, become very routine. Uh, certainly, the, the bread and butter issues of you know holes in the heart and damaged valves and obstructed pathways for blood flow uh, can all be well repaired uh, and can be recognized pretty simply with uh, non-invasive techniques such as echocardiography and magnetic resonance imaging. Uh, diagnostic cardiac catheterizations are uh, of limited use, or limited necessity anymore. Uh, in terms of surgical approaches, uh, many of the things that used to be repaired surgically, certainly, again, relatively simple issues, holes between the upper chambers of the heart, for example, can be handled without surgery and can be closed in the cath lab by experienced interventional cardiologists. Uh, many of the uh, more, what used to be considered complex lesions, things like Tetralogy of Fallot, uh, which is a four-part lesion uh, that was part of that television movie that was on not too long ago, uh, expressing the, the early work of, um, of uh, Blaylock and Tausig uh, in Hopkins, uh, those, sorts of le- those sorts of repairs have become very routine. The much more complex issues having to do with patients who are born without a chamber, for example, uh, have led to uh, a breakthrough uh, over the last 20 years or so, 30 years of multiple palliative surgeries leading to uh, a successful uh, three-chamber heart uh, physiology, a so-called Fontan palliation. 
And many of these patients are surviving into adulthood, and the adult cardiologists are now having to learn how to deal with them. Uh, heart transplantation has become a more routine procedure for patients whose hearts are too damaged either by an acquired issue or by uh, multiple surgical interventions uh, and need a new heart, and that, that has become a successful way to, uh, to uh, deal with patients who have end-stage heart disease. Supporting patients who need support, waiting for transplantation in terms of extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, so-called ECMO, and uh, and uh, uh, cardiac assist devices. Uh, these have become much more available for children, and work is being done on miniaturizing them further so they can be used in younger and smaller children to support them until full repairs can be done. But that's the that that piece of the practice is the far end of the spectrum. Again, most children who have cardiac problems have things that are pretty simple to deal with. Many of them are brought to our attention for things that don't need intervention. Are you seeing with the, you know, the obesity epidemic that we're facing today, are you seeing more cardiovascular and heart disease going on in children because of obesity that you did not used to see? Well, I'm glad you brought that up. It's not that I'm seeing disease from it, but the emphasis on the epidemiologic issues pertaining to uh, obesity, what it means for our society, what it means for uh, medical practice later in life when these kids are not children any longer, uh, that has been reemphasized among pediatricians uh, and pediatric cardiologists. And what we are trying to do is to identify these kids as they come through uh, many times for other issues uh, and to emphasize the need to deal with uh, the, the weight issue, the the hypertensive issues, the poor eating issues, uh, so that they don't become uh, the, the cardiac patients of tomorrow. Uh, that sort of acquired heart disease is, is something that is uh, can be avoided, uh, but it, it, it requires intervention early in life. It's very hard to, to change one's lifestyle uh, dramatically, uh, not impossible, but, but difficult as a 40 or 50 or 60-year-old, getting a handle on these kids when they're you know, five, six, seven, and eight, and, and having them learn how to eat healthy, not necessarily diet, but eat healthy, and to exercise on a regular basis and make that a part of their lives. That's a way of, of, of getting on, uh, getting into the system early and trying to avoid future problems, which helps everybody. It helps the system. Uh, it's uh, economically more feasible than trying to treat everybody's heart disease when they have it. Um, and so there's an emphasis among uh, my, my colleagues and I uh, to try and get into this and to intervene on these issues early when we recognize them. So in just the last minute or so, Dr. Leichter, give parents listening your best advice if they are worried that their child might have a cardiovascular situation or condition and why they should come to Summit Medical Group for their cardiology care. Well, you know, my my dad used to say self-praise stinks, so I won't I won't go in that direction, but what I will say is that um, is that if you if you suspect that your child has a significant cardiac problem, um, either because of symptoms or because of something you've heard from one of these practitioners, and you want it looked into further, you should discuss it with your uh, personal physician or your pediatrician or your family practitioner. And uh, and at Summit Medical Group, uh, I'm I'm available and happy to see such patients. I think that. Uh, the group and, and I with them in uh, a prompt and professional manner, uh, and I think that as you as you heard from 
the earlier discussion, my take on how to deal with children was fully is, is, is shaped, is flavored a lot by my own experiences. Uh, and so um, I think the kids and the families have a, have a pleasant experience uh, when evaluated and that, uh, that people get the proper information that they need to go forward. Well, you certainly have a unique perspective on it, and it's absolutely fascinating story. So thank you so much for sharing it with us. You're listening to SMG Radio. For more information, you can go to summitmedicalgroup.com. That's summitmedicalgroup.com. Thanks so much for listening. This is Melanie Cole. Have a great day.